0: Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode. I'm the head of human resources at Amazon and the president of the Amholes Club, But in my spare time, I do some tech reporting. If you think technology is too confusing, if you think the industry is strange, good. So do we. Today's guest in the red chair is Erica Baker, an engineer at Slack. Though you might know Erica better because of what she did at her old company. When Erica worked for Google, she made a spreadsheet for employees to enter their salaries to see how they stacked up. Thousands of employees gave their information. And when Erica tweeted about her experiment last month, the whole tech industry paid attention. Now let's hear what Eric has to say about the whole experience. Welcome, Erica. Hi, Kara. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm super excited to have you. I think I have lots of guests, but I'm very excited to have this conversation because I think what you did was remarkable. Actually, um, you had told someone you were nervous to talk to me, but I'm actually a fan of what you did because I like people who disrupt sort of the order in Silicon Valley.
1: Oh, well, awesome. Glad to hear that. Thank
0: yeah. you. Yeah. So explain what you did, and then we'll go into your background and talk about the issues that it brought up.
1: Uh, well, just real quick. Um, the why is I was bored on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of us were reading an article, I think, in The Atlantic about salaries and how employees don't share them. And we decided, well, we're just going to share ours. You know, it was just a few of us. And then... Uh,
0: Which is like the third reel in companies. Nobody wants to talk about salaries. Oh, yeah.
1: Nobody. No. No. Yeah. They strongly yeah. recommend against it. Um so we were just like, yeah, we can do it. We're not gonna, we're not allowed to be, you know, retaliated against for it. Um, and someone was like, well, this is a bad way to share because we were just typing in as comments in a Google Plus post or some such. And so somebody made a spreadsheet. Um, they made it externally uh, on their personal Gmail, and I was like, that's not okay. Uh, so I made one internally and then put a form on it and then shared it. And I had a pretty pretty big following uh, internally at Google, and so a lot of people saw it and shared it around and it got really popular and things happened.
0: So on a Sunday you did this. I usually yeah. go to brunch, but what, what, <laughs> what,
1: what, what about it did you want? Why
0: was it so interesting to you to do that and your I, friends?
1: Um, it was just interesting to have, you know, salaries written down. Like at Google, there was no, um, no published like salary scales. Nobody mm-hmm. knew where they were on the scale. You know, you know, some people knew that there was a scale, like their manager, you know, wink, wink, nod, tell you, oh, you're at the top. Like that was me. I was at the top of my salary scale. Um, but it was just interesting to have that written down in a place.
0: So a company that values information and pushes mm. the idea that they have information try to, to keep that area very, very hidden. Oh, super hidden. And so you do this, and you get the, lots and lots of replies. And what did people think? Was anybody that were happy about it? What, they just were intrigued by it? Because they probably would intrigue Googlers, I'm imagining.
1: Yeah, the Googlers, many of them were intrigued. Uh, management, not so much intrigued. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about bit, that. Yeah.
0: So what did you get that you didn't expect? Um
1: I was surprised at how quickly it gained traction. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew there were people who wanted to share it, but I didn't expect it to just get so big so fast.
0: Right, yeah. right. So as these were pouring in, what surprised you about the about what the data that you were getting?
1: Um there's just like discrepancies um between different groups of people. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be specific because Google's lawyers are scary. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> All right. But what about with you in particular? Did it? How did it, how, when you saw it with your own salary?
1: Oh, my own salary. Like I knew where I was in my salary. It wasn't a big deal. There was a lot of uh, talk about how I did it because I was... Dissatisfied with my salary and where mm-hmm. I was, and I was
0: like, "No." Well, you could just ask for more money, presumably. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I, but I never did. It wasn't yeah was important to me.
0: No, but I mean, in general, you don't have to put up a big spreadsheet to oh, do that. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of a crazy way to do it. Yeah. So, so when you put it up, you get lots of reaction. What were you hoping to accomplish with it? What was your goal?
1: There wasn't a goal really when we first did it, um, but after you know it was up and everybody's doing it, I was like, okay, hopefully somebody will be able to see it and you know be able to negotiate their salary to something that is uh, more equitable.
0: Did you want to give a message to management when you were doing it, or just this was, here's some information,
1: why shouldn't people talk about salary? Just here's some information. Uh, yeah, no message to management at all. So what then happened? Um, my manager took me into her office, just like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, I was bored on a Sunday. Uh There was a story. And, you know, there was a lot of questions about, oh, are you happy with your salary? Are you sure you're not, you didn't do it So they immediately
0: made it personal. Yeah. 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 And
1: it wasn't at all personal. It was just like for funsies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, there was a, well, you know, people, you could, you know, things could happen because of that. And I was like, well, you know, nothing could happen. It's illegal to retaliate uh, for... Against salaries or uh, employees for sharing their salaries. And she says, you know, well, there are things that could happen that aren't, you know, necessarily uh, firing. That sort of thing. Meaning, what?
0: Drop a brick on your head? I, what was the? I don't you had know. No idea. I didn't.
1: I didn't push further. I was like, right. okay, all
0: right. Great. So they were trying to get you not to do this. And why do you imagine they didn't want this information out there?
1: Oh, I have no idea. I, it, it, her story was that some, you know, people would uh, disgruntlement. Yeah, it would not make people happy. Right. And but it, the results I saw, people were really happy. They're happy to discuss it. Happy that the information was out there. I heard maybe one or two people who weren't happy about it, but mm-hmm. that was it.
0: Yeah. So what happened from there? Talk about like the timeline of what occurred. So you did this, mm-hmm. your
1: boss communicated they didn't like it, assuming she heard from above her. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, well, actually, I know so. Yeah, people above her were not fans. Um, but it kept going. I wasn't going to take it down. Right. Um, people reacted very positively to it and started sending me bonuses, mm-hmm. uh, peer bonuses.
0: Right, the thing they do. Can you explain that to people what they do at Google?
1: Right, so at Google, um, if your coworkers like something that you did that's outside of your job scope, they can send you a peer bonus. Which is a great idea. Yeah, it was great. Um, and a lot of people sent me peer bonuses and they all got rejected.
0: By the managers? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, why do you think that was? Because they were trying to retaliate. Uh,
1: I don't think it was retaliation. I think it was her uh, reasoning in the rejection. Like she cc me on the rejection was that uh, she didn't know that it would be good for the company and so she was waiting to see if, you know, the you know the result was a, a net positive.
0: And who would determine that?
1: I don't
2: know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's some committee that's, yeah. Ah, it's a net positive. Yeah, that's very good. Um, so you you have get the, got those B, those peer bonus mm-hmm. offers right. from a bunch of people. You didn't get them. Mm-hmm. What happened next?
1: Um, it just kept going, uh, and then. That was pretty, that, that situation. Like, I had not expected to have the peer bonuses rejected. That's not a thing that I'd ever experienced at Google. And, and it was interesting that a lot of people, uh, especially my friends who are managers, are like, wow, I didn't even know it was possible to reject a peer bonus. Like, right. it just wasn't done. Right. Right. And so that was. Like, How
0: much are these? I'm just so people can understand $150 each. Oh, so it's a, my, it's a de minimis amount of money. Yeah. Tiny, yeah. It's like, just to show that yeah. your colleagues like you, you did something great or something like that.
1: Yeah. So um, it hadn't been rejected. Ever before. Not to my knowledge. I'm, yeah. 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 Um, and so that was like sort of my last straw. Right. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, I had already, you know, determined that I wasn't happy at Google. Right. And I was like, yeah, th- this is, it's time to go.
0: Right. Absolutely. Let's go back in your background a little bit and mm-hmm. then how, why you weren't unhappy at Google. And then we'll talk about the bigger issue mm-hmm. around uh, tech and diversity, right. which is, a, it just, it's one of these things that people a lot of people are, can't talk about. And yeah. it's really, it's an interesting issue why they can't, they feel bad about it and then nothing happens, which is really, or they presumably feel bad but Maybe they don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your background. How did you get to,
1: to Google? Uh, so I started with computers when I was a little kid, uh-huh. when I was 12. Uh-huh. Um, which computer? Uh, Tandy 1000S. Oh my. Yeah. Wow. Old school. Radio yeah. Shack. Oh yeah. One. <laughs> and it didn't have a CD-ROM drive, so. Um, I had a Trash 80. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. TRS. It, yeah. No, it had couplers <laughs> that you put on a phone. It, you know,
0: it's like the old days. It's yeah. Like there was all, I rode there in my little uh, little wagon with the
1: horse attached to it, and then took it to the phone. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah so... Uh, I decided I wanted to install a CD-ROM drive in this computer like I'd been messing with computers since I was 10. And they sent me to some hypercard camp. What did camp you like about them? About computers? Yeah. I don't know. I just they I, I was always very analytical and I liked to take things apart. Mm-hmm. And so I could take this thing apart and do stuff with did it. Did you right? have a
0: parent that did that? I'm always interested. My dad
1: uh, was an aircraft mechanic, uh, oh, fighter okay. jets. Yeah.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. So he interested in, in in tinkering.
1: I don't know. I think it might be genetic cuz I didn't I didn't even grow up with him, right? Like mm-hmm. uh he and my mom divorced when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, and he was off in Germany or you know Saudi or whatever, wherever the Air Force sent him mm-hmm. to work on F-16s. Um, but yeah, like I just was really interested in taking things apart, and I took apart this computer, and I was like, "Oh, this is neat." Mm-hmm. What could,
0: was neat about it? For it's you? just
1: like I could I could change this computer myself without like having an adult to help me, right? And that was fun for me, and you know. It, After a lifetime of tinkering, like tinkering with this thing that everybody in my house used was kind of empowering a little bit, I guess. Right,
0: absolutely. Did you, were there a lot of girls who did that? Because it's really, there's a moment when girls shift from math and science and computers.
1: Um, No, there weren't, as far as I knew. Everybody, as far as I can remember there's a lot of Lisa Frank involved mm-hmm. <laughs> with the other girls growing up. Right. I don't remember anybody else, you know, messing with computers much.
0: So why did you stick with it? It's that it, it, there's a moment when girls do that and I wonder what it is about you that stuck with it. Um, it oh, shouldn't be like that, no, but it, it shouldn't. is.
1: Um well so after installing City ROM drive like I was just you know I messed with it. I played Carmen San Diego a lot. Yeah. Uh, Oregon Trail. Um, but, Great game. still yeah, hot? Yeah, yeah I love it so much. Yeah. Don't get disinterested. Um, Don't get dysentery. Yeah. It's the end. Yeah. Uh, at about 14 or 15, I discovered uh, the World Wide Web. Ah, uh, before which that. Is what I was, they used to call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I used to mess around on Gopher when mm-hmm. I was sure. before that. Sure. FTP. Yeah. Um, and chat rooms were there. Right. And I get to, I got to talk to, like, people who were like me, uh-huh. who were into computers. And right. I grew up in Alaska, so there weren't, weren't a lot of people around who were right. also into computers to talk right. to. Um, and so there was this whole world of people. Uh-huh.
0: And which ones? So you talked to them about computing things and uh, met, made new
1: friends? There? Yeah. A lot of <laughs> – that was back when I was really interested in, like – the darker side of computing, so, so which is what? Lots of hacking and freaking, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? But you didn't go the hacking route. Uh, no, there was an experience. When well, you was, might be. I don't know. No, no. Uh, when I was about sixteen, uh, where I got pulled into the office, and I went to school on a mil- military base, mm-hmm. so I walked into the office, um, and my mom and dad were there, the superintendent of the schools was there, um, the whole entire school district, the principal. Uh, the head of IT for the school district, and the military police.
0: What did you set up? Armageddon? I didn't do accident? anything. I just right.
1: I was dumb enough to leave my uh, like all the stuff I'd messed with on my s- machine at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody had uh, hacked into the principal's computer, and they thought it was me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't me, but that freaked me out. And I was mm-hmm. like, mm, maybe I'm not going to do this anymore.
0: Right, yeah. right. But you were looking. You were... Experimenting with yeah, lots of things, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Was there a
1: computer teacher there that pushed there, you? There wasn't actually. Um, the first computing class they ever had was my senior year. They had a class before school started, it, they called it a zero hour class. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, programming uh, TI 83s with BASIC. I took that class as well. Wow. Fun.
0: Yeah. So you did it yourself? Yeah. Self-taught. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, you, uh, so you're so you doing this, and then you decide to go to, where did you go to school?
1: Uh, University of Miami for mm-hmm. a year. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a CS major there, um, and it was really shocking. Uh, like I said, I grew up in Alaska. My school was tiny.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I got to UM, and my first CS class was, like, the size of, like, a giant auditorium, and there were more people in that one class than there were in my entire graduating class. Right. Um, And I was the only black girl there. Right. Um, This is no surprise. No, not at all. And uh, there was uh, one other black person in there, one of the football players. I forget his name. I wish I could remember. Uh Um, But, you know, it was really like, whoa, this is different. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got a lot of like kind of skeptical looks, like, why are you here? Mm -hmm. And a little bit of like treatment in that vein. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was like, I just, I was a naive little kid. Uh, still, then, so I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go home. And so right. I went home, and I switched majors too. Was there
0: any be- outward behavior, or just staring at you? If, well, like there's, there's staring, and there's like creature.
1: the igno- well, yeah, yeah, that. And then there's the ignoring by the TAs, and the, right. I would raise my hand, ask a professor something, and he'd like be like just. Oh, you know, that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did sort of you attitude. ever call them out for it? Or? No, I was a little like 18 yeah. year old kid who was like right. a nerd mm-hmm. growing up. And like, I didn't, I was too scared to even say anything to anybody, let alone call my professor on something.
0: Was there anybody there that reached out in any way? No, not at all. No. So it's like passes of white dudes being passive aggressive or it, maybe just aggressive, aggressive. Yeah.
1: Just kind of passive aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So you left, I left, I went back to Alaska, went to the university of Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, Switched my major to microcomputer support, which is, you know, what they called IT stuff back then.
0: And what is that? Like helping fix computers?
1: Yeah, fixing computers. Wow. Um, yeah,
0: and Which is not the most creative job in computing, or did you like that?
1: I, I liked it just because it was taking things apart. I right. like to take things apart. And right. sure. um, after I got my associate's degree, they hired me uh, at the university to be a Windows domain admin, and that's how I got my start into the tech industry. So from there you went? I went to um, Home Depot in Atlanta because I wanted to leave Alaska as soon as possible <laughs> and get somewhere very warm. Um, uh, and I was a network operations engineer there. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I went to this company, lottery company, called Scientific Games. Uh, and I did desktop support there. And then I switched to Google in Atlanta.
0: And how did you get Google in Atlanta? Uh-huh. And what did you do for them at first?
1: Uh, IT field technician, which is just like support plus plus.
0: So I'm presuming you were very excited to be hired by Google.
1: I was. Yeah. I thought it was a joke at first. Like I had seen the job listing on Craigslist mm-hmm. and I was like, Google doesn't post there. I know, openings. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, well, it was definitely on Craigslist. And I was like, this is this is not real. Right. And so I used like one of my throwaway email addresses to mm-hmm. apply for it and I was like, Yeah, you know, up until the point they flew me to New York for an interview, I was just didn't believe it was real.
0: And were you excited about going there? What did you think about it? You know, like,
1: I mean, in 2006, Google was like the golden child, the darling. Right. Everybody wanted to work at Google. Right. And I was really excited to just go there and be there and, like, work at the best company I worked for in the world.
0: Talk about your experience there, then. What soured you to the experience?
1: I mean, it, like, the, out of the gate, like, one of my uh, coworkers there was um, really unkind, Mm-hmm. Um, say he said a lot of things that were not at all appropriate. You know, intimating that my boyfriend beat me, that my parents beat me. You know, what? The, yeah. Why? <laughs> because he was not a nice person. Oh, uh, Okay. Um, and it was not a great situation. And this is in Atlanta. Yeah, and I reported it to my boss because, and you know, instead of reporting to HR, because I thought, okay, my boss is going to handle this. Like he right. knows what to do. And my boss essentially, you know, said, well. You can deal with it or you can move to New York. Right. And so I moved to New York.
0: Deal with it. Yeah. Deal with aggression like that.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And so you moved to New York. Yeah. And I, uh, I was a field tech in New York, even though I had no desire to ever live in New York. Right. snow. It's cold.
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I,
1: I'm sorry. So good. I'm here. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going back. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to be in the cold, but, you know, it was like I didn't want to leave Google. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to New York. And what, were there good experiences there? Did you find good people? More In New York? More? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are definitely some good people. Like, f- friends I have to this day, I made while working there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still Google. Right. Which means what? Uh, you know, when I first got there, like, <laughs> it was very interesting, and I don't even understand how it happened. My manager, when I got there, was the manager of the guy from Atlanta who was mm-hmm. being not kind to me. So, you know... I feel like he might have already had a chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. uh, regarding me because I caused trouble. Right, and Spoke up. Yeah. Mouthy lady. Yeah. Shouldn't Mouthy be. minority. Too. Yeah. 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 Should know my place. Yeah. Um, And the first peer review he did when I got there, it was like below expectations or whatever. You know, I was like, really? Like, I was just been a month of moving to new york like moving my entire life i left mm-hmm. everybody in atlanta I, I just moved to new york where i know nobody and i'm trying to like adjust to this whole place which is crazy like i've never lived in the big city mm-hmm. before and he's like oh below me and i was like all right okay like it, it didn't leave room for humanity right. I guess. it right. didn't leave room for being a human mm-hmm. and that was that's like sort of the way google is right like people don't human well
0: yeah yeah, yeah well
1: you know, they're robots from another country,
0: another planet. I don't know if you know that. I, I think probably you're probably right, yeah. <laughs> yeah so we're going to get into the, that issue and how this happens and how they manage women and minorities, okay. too, yeah. because there are so few. And the management seems to be poor, seems yeah. to be a lot of bad outcomes. Yeah. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken word audio information and entertainment on the Internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, and self development, just to name a few. Audible offers our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. I just downloaded Infinite Jess by David Foster Wallace after I saw a really fantastic movie about him. It's really easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. So uh, we're with Erica Baker, uh, who is an employee at Slack, and she also was an employee at Google and caused great waves in the tech industry when she published a spreadsheet of salaries um, that she got people inputted into and caused real problems. And we've been talking about issues that uh, she had at Google, and then now we're going to talk a little bit more about the larger problem of diversity in tech. I want to get to solutions because, you know, we Try eventually to make solutions out of things. But where do you think the problem is? Because I I think Google's not unlike every other company and it happens to be the leading company. And it it does try or it just purports to try to bring more minorities in, bring more women in, integrate more women into leadership. Um, And yet it's still the same outcome with those reports after report. It's white guys, an occasional Asian, some Indians, not as many women. Um, And it's really disheartening because it's across the tech landscape.
1: Um, I think the problem is kind of multi-pronged. Yes, um, there are definitely definitely problems uh, with recruiting, mm-hmm. um, hiring, but there's so much focus on that that nobody really pays attention to retention, mm-hmm. which is the experience. Huge. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of women who just drop out after I think what is it the seven-year mark? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, can't do it anymore. Right. Right? And nobody seems to focus on why that is. Right. So they focus on the pipeline. Right. It's yeah, I had an interview with
0: Elle Powell, and she's like, I'm so sick of the pipeline. I talk. am, yeah,
1: same. Yeah. <laughs> like The yeah. pipeline is garbage. Yeah. Should, it's not
0: great, but it's not bad. There are qualified
1: people, and keeping them there is the issue. Yeah. I mean, you know, they claim they can't hire, but um, there's some study that said that like 4% of the people coming out of colleges with CS degrees were um Minorities? Mm-hmm. Um, Black women? Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's like, you have, you have Facebook hiring one. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's not 4% exactly. No, not yeah. at all. So,
0: what? Where? What is the issue around retention? Because first they talk about pipeline and STEM yeah. and girls not being interested, which I think is definitely clearly an issue. Right. But what happens when they get in there? What What occurs? Is it just that you're the different? You're You're it's, You're unusual, and therefore you're judged
1: harshly. It's being different and being unusual and having to like fight against people's expectations of women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to prove that you're good at your job. Uh, twice, three times, just to get the same respect that uh, a guy will get. Mm-hmm. Um, it's lack of promotion. Um, it's lack of acknowledgement that you know you're a person. Like right. there's no empathy, really.
0: Right. Yeah. No. It's, re- it's what's interesting to me is there's someone said that you can only do one of two things. You can be a woman, you can be black, but you can't be both. for oh, Example. Yeah. Like no. you can have one, and even then you're you're hindered.
1: Oh yeah. Um, there's a it's interesting that people when they're talking about diversity and inclusion they say mm-hmm. women and people of color yeah right there's yeah. These, like there's this whole section of us that right overlaps that group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but people don't talk about that um intersection
0: at all much well the word they're using now which I think is really interesting which I hate is unconscious bias yeah I think it's an excuse for laziness and they do it. I just had an interesting Twitter exchange someone's like well people don't mean it I go no they mean it they actually mean it or they do something different it's like you know they mean not to go to the bathroom on the street. They mean not, you know, yeah. you have all kinds of intentions. And, and uh, you know, especially wording around women, r- wording around minorities is very different. And mm-hmm. if they thought about it, but they just like to use the word unconscious, meaning it's not my fault.
1: Oh, um, I mean, there, there are occasions, I think, where people don't know that they're being incorrect because of whatever upbringing they have. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there are a lot of things that people say about black people in the South that, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really fault someone for... N- thinking mm-hmm. until they're taught differently. Right,
0: right, exactly.
1: Those people, okay, fine, unconscious. But the people who, like, actively say, oh, you only got hired because of affirmative action,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, no, mm-hmm. that that's completely incorrect, but there's no... So it's the initial assumption yeah. that that's why you were hired. Yeah, and it's like, maybe you should talk to the person who hired me and find out, you know, that I right. finished the 45-minute interview in 15 minutes. Like, right, no, right. I'm really good. Right. Um, but... Immediately, because I'm black and because I'm a woman, I got hired because of affirmative so action. So the
0: judging is higher. You, oh, you yeah. You have to hit a higher
1: mark. Oh, than for everybody sure. Else. Yeah, yeah. You, there are so many hurdles you have to jump over as a woman and a black woman that other people don't do have you, to deal do with. Do you find
0: one worse than the other, or Which is one? it just being black or being a woman? Do you find it, or is it just a I, double whammy? I, I, I can't mean?
1: separate it. Like I'm a right. black woman always. I can't right. say, oh, well, it's worse to be a woman, or it's right. worse to be like I'm both always. Right. Yeah.
0: So what do you imagine? Um, Talk about some of the behaviors that really people maybe maybe they don't notice what they're doing. But give me three or four of the behaviors that happen.
1: Oh, I mean, just the intimating that I, you know, maybe don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, which coding is,
0: isn't any good. Or. Yeah,
1: I mean, and to be fair, I don't I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. Like neither and, do they. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, there is the sort of exclusion. Uh, and I, I remember one situation uh shortly before I left Google where I was like, oh i love, I love to play poker. There's this like weekly poker game. Can mm-hmm. I you know be invited?" And it's like, I had to pull teeth to get invited to the poker game. I'm right. like, okay, great,
0: right, which is where a
1: lot goes on, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, it, a lot happens after hours, and you, mm-hmm. you get excluded from those things, and right. it's sort of you just
0: it's the old golfing thing, but yeah. it's different. It's the same thing, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. it's just like, what else? I don't know, I can't think of many off the top of my head. Yeah. But those those are ones that come to mind right now. There's a lot that I experienced while at Google. Um, just just being made to feel different, you know. Walk, <laughs> I remember being the one black woman on my floor, and, like, people would walk by and stare, like. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, you know, asking if I'm security, asking if I'm the AA, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> someone very high up at Google, I'm not going to say they're... Who they were because it would be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, when I was when I moved to Mountain View, I was an executive support tech, Mm -hmm. and one of the people I supported walked in to my office that I shared with my white dude coworker, Mm -hmm. who's still one of my good friends. Love him, um, and said, "Oh, is he here?" And I was like, "No. Can I help you with something?" Oh, can you just tell him blah blah blah? He's like, "Oh, I'm 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 a support tech too. I'm an exec tech too. Oh, I thought you were his admin." No, I'm not his admin. I can't believe they said it out loud. Oh, yeah, definitely. And -hmm. then they're like, you should put a sign that says you're not the admin. It's like, okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So so what what do you imagine has to happen? Is there anything that can happen? Because what happens is a lot of pattern matching. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I wrote uh, the Men and No Women of Facebook, for example, and I just put pictures up. And I remember Zuckerberg getting mad at me. And I said, I'm just putting up your, your management list. Yeah. Just want people to see it, yeah. physically see it. Yeah. Did the same thing, the men and no women of 2.0 boards, Web mm-hmm. 2.0 boards. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with the Twitter board because there were 10 white men. Mm-hmm. and I, And, again, people are like, oh, don't attack that. I'm like, but it's mathematically impossible to get to that number. Right without ever occurring to you and then they go into the argument about well we don't want to have token people like which is a word I can't stand it's like well you yeah. have token white people yeah. like white guys so yeah. it's really interesting and so you know what happens is one is an embarrassment I think mm-hmm. two because I think most people do have many people have good int- it's so not overt that it's more problematic because right. overt stuff you kind of can deal with right um it's 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 lazy it's pure laziness on some level of like lack of rigor and then it's pattern matching this is who I'm comfortable with right and not about the best for the business
1: or anything else um what should happen I think is uh more VCs should get more women and uh people of color partners mm-hmm. um so that they can put those people on boards and boards can stop being all white men mm-hmm. uh because the, so much happens in the boardroom that directs like what happens in a company right? Um and if you have a board full of white guys, you're not gonna have any sort of real interest in diversity and so much.
0: What about in the workplace?
1: In the workplace. Start tracking or publishing or acknowledging things besides the pipeline and hiring, right? Start paying attention to the retention. Stop settling harassment cases out of court mm-hmm. and giving people gag orders, because mm-hmm. that's a thing that happens a lot. Yes. Um start looking at at promotion rates and why women uh, who have been at a company for the same time as these dudes uh, mm-hmm. are only level fours while these guys are moving up to level four lef- is a level at Google yeah right. level, four, level four and meanwhile like the guys who started at the same time and they are or they started are at level five and level six like start tracking that sort of stuff um, figure out why you know people aren't being promoted why, do,
0: why don't they do this? Why do you think they don't? Is it just thoughtlessness? They're moving so fast. What's the, because you see it again and again and again. And mm-hmm. it starts to, it's so obvious to you and I. And what was really interesting around us is when we were doing this stuff around uh, gay issues, mm-hmm. when there was Ohio and everybody moved together and gay marriage and things like that, the tech industry moved very quickly and mm-hmm. everyone was like, let us give you a quote. It was fascinating. Everyone was j- falling all over themselves to give us a quote about it. Mm-hmm. But when we came to Ellen Power, diversity or anything mm-hmm. else, everyone was like, I can't talk about Oh. I can't talk. It was fascinating. And I was like, okay, the gays are okay now, mm-hmm. but the it seemed an acceptable tolerance versus discussing anything that was difficult. And it immediately went to whatever you think of Ellen Powell, her difficulty and mm-hmm. not the larger issue, which I thought was really indicative of people that aren't thinking
1: deeply enough. Well, I, I don't, they aren't thinking deeply, and I think many of them just don't really care. Like, don't care. Just don't care. Right. Uh, they care to the point where it is a PR problem for them. Mm-hmm. But beyond that it, it's not really a concern of
0: theirs, and how do we get them to have that concern, or is there is that impossible? Are you disheartened that it can't
1: happen, or
0: I, I mean, mean I, you I, obviously I, spoke out for a reason, yeah. you want to cause call attention to this?
1: I waffle back and forth like some days I just think we need to burn it all down and start from scratch right okay. uh some days, I think we can fix it uh with the right people uh making the right calls, i guess um I like a lot that Stewart is very outspoken mm-hmm. about, you know, diversity and uh, everything. And everything, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he does immense mince words. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Off from Salesforce. Yeah. Um, just you know, if enough leaders of successful companies start making this a priority, I feel like once the title or the the tide shifts, then people will j- sort of join the bandwagon because everybody at and everybody in the valley is sort of about cargo culting, mm-hmm. and so what, car, car- cargo culting yeah. is like just copying whatever. I the, see. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So if they, you know, see, you know, a successful company doing these things, maybe we'll, we'll we'll copy that, and then it becomes the norm, right? So if diversity is a big thing at Slack, um, and we are successful, right? People will start copying. It's that that you have to
0: make a business argument about it, though. Like, hey, successful people do it. Yeah. I mean, because you could look at Amazon like this week in the news about the things. I mean, they're tough.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, they don't seem to like anybody. That's from, (laughs) you know, Amazon is such a special place. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and also, people can learn to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can put yourself in the shoes of someone else and see things from their side, stuff gets really. Hard to ignore. Like you can't ignore that someone is feeling, you know, like they can't succeed in your company, for example, if you put yourself in their shoes, right. Um, but empathy is hard for a lot of people. It really it's hard is. for everybody. Yeah. but, you know, some people don't like to try even
0: last question. What's the toll on you? Because, you know, I think a lot of women I talk to, especially more women, just everybody I talk to in this regard, it's always um, it, it it was i think it, i can't remember who was talking about microaggressions mm-hmm. and it you know if you say something once in a small thing then you look like a whiner mm-hmm. or a complainer right. or you're angry or whatever um, and if you keep but they're all so small that they add up to something rather large what mm-hmm. did, what does it does it totally dishearten you what do you do you imagine continue your career in tech or do you are you just going to be so you know you have to get into an angry state yeah. to keep going well for me it's which sort is not of great.
1: it's sort of a tightrope walk because there is that whole stereotype about the angry black woman. Mm-hmm. And so I have to sort of like walk this tightrope to not be considered the angry black woman while still uh speaking up for problems, right? right? Um well, the angry black man, the angry black Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um
0: why not be that? Cuz it doesn't get you what you want.
1: It doesn't. Uh people, you know, once people like oh, well she's just being an angry black woman. They mm-hmm. they can dismiss you, right? So mm-hmm. I have to sort of make sure that I am still perceived as like not angry black woman, right? <laughs> and so that my voice and my message can be heard. Right. Um, I stay in tech because I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, You're still a little girl tinkering, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, though, if at 12 years old you'd have told me. What this would be like, would be like now? I would have probably stuck with my plan to be a lawyer.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And then sue the bastards. Yeah. <laughs> do you, um, is that something that that it has to happen, or just what, I mean, what? I'm trying to get is what changes it, and how do you continue not to be like like uh, steeped in vinegar about it? Like you get at some point, it gets so disheartening that you.
1: I mean, I surround myself right now. I, I got to the point where I was really, you know, just done with it, and mm-hmm. I decided to surround myself with people who are in or out of tech but who are positive and aren't so negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I hang out with a lot of good people. And so when I get off work, I can go and, like, be with these good people. And it makes it easier to not be just, like, really angry about things. Um, what changes tech? Uh, empathy, definitely. Uh, changing the boards so so that the top is changed and so that it trickles down, like, and leaders of companies like really being concerned beyond the PR mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think they should have um, completely blind hiring where they don't
1: see people or no? I feel like in the hiring pipeline where recruiters are involved, mm-hmm. they should take out uh, you know, names, schools, ages, that sort of thing to anything to discriminate on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at some point like you have to be you have to have some intention about your hiring into your hiring right like if you stick with recruiting from the same 10 schools that have you know 97 percent you know white student population or whatever right, right. you're only going to get you're gonna get what you always got yeah absolutely right so there needs to be some intention
0: so final question if you had to say something to silicon valley about what it needs to do what would you say be angry if you'd like. I don't. Know. <laughs> no, Funny.
1: be chill. Uh, no, I just it's like care, just really care. And and when someone says really something shitty to one of your coworkers about you know who they are, call them on it, and don't give give that person shit for calling them on it. You know, for the leaders of Silicon Valley, like do better. <sighs> just pay attention to your employees. Talk to the the uh, ERGs is what uh, they're called at Google, the employee resource groups. Um, find out what's going on with them. You know, be active in, about diversity outside of work. Mm-hmm. Really try to understand what's happening in the lives of your employees. And I know that's hard from like like the CEO level, but mm-hmm. like just try like I don't know for an hour, a month. Mm-hmm. Just try to understand, care, Great. be empathetic.
0: Erica, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming.
1: Thank you for having me. I am less scared of you now. Okay, good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. I really appreciate Erica Baker being here and talking about the important issues of diversity in tech, which is a critical issue that we pay not nearly enough attention to, even though it seems like we're talking about it a lot. Up next, a segment of Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer questions about drones and all the terrible and amazing things they do. Stay tuned. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask, brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. And today, our fantastic tech reviewer, Lauren Good, is here to talk about drones and all the terrible and amazing things they do. You're joining us via Skype, correct?
3: Yeah. Drones are quickly changing the game across the economy. Everyone from Amazon to your neighbor to your local government might be experimenting with drones. But because they are still largely unregulated in the United States, people have a lot of questions about them. So in this week's episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask, that is what we are
0: going to be chatting about based on questions that people have sent us on Twitter. Well, hey, Lauren. This is Kara. Um, so tell me a little bit about, give us some background of drones. Like they've come, they, they, they mostly have a like a bad reputation right now because they're like swooping in at fires. They're causing problems at airports. They're, they seem like somewhat of a nuisance and actually a possibly dangerous nuisance at this point.
3: There is a bit of a drone backlash happening right now for sure. So drones, um, which are also known as unmanned aerial vehicles in some instances, UAV. I mean, they're not a new thing. They've been around forever, but in a different way. Uh, just like a lot of the tech products we see, they were, you know, they've been using it for military purposes for decades. Um, but now we're starting to see them being used by businesses for commercial use cases used by consumers or hobbyists for recreational purposes. And sometimes they're used for civil purposes like law enforcement or firefighters. Right. Um, and so they can really range in terms of their capabilities and in terms of price. And uh, right now, 26 states have enacted laws addressing, you know, UAV issues, and an additional six states in the U.S. have adopted resolutions. And they're they're sort of like overall regulated by the FAA, but they're still there's just a there are a lot of questions around what you can and what you cannot do with drones and how they're being used and
0: they're cheap they're in stores that's the thing everyone can use them now they're much less expensive they're not they're not hobbyists they're relatively easy to use correct
3: yeah you can get a you know $200 total toy drone without camera capabilities and you can just like use your phone to control it and have it hop around and it doesn't really do much or you can spend a little bit more you know a $1000 or more for something like a Phantom uh, that can capture pretty great footage and photos so i mean $1000 may sound like a lot but for a lot of consumers who are into this sort of thing and that's that's accessible that's like saying a photographer spending a $1000 on camera equipment it's actually not a lot of money when you get into the real enthusiast
0: kind of category right, but it's it- What I'm saying is it's easier and cheaper than ever. Yes, absolutely. And so you're going to just see more and more of these, correct? I mean, unless there is
3: some type of regulation that finally comes down that really limits people's usage of them, then yeah. I mean,
0: I think this is definitely a growing category. All right. Well, let's get to questions. Uh, From Michelle, at Michelle Robbins, I'm interested in privacy laws with regard to drones and the potential for law enforcement use and abuse as well as your average creeper. Oh,
3: okay. So this isn't exactly a question, but I think that Michelle Robbins is really pegging one of the issues that's at the forefront of everyone's minds. Um, so as I was saying earlier, there are clear national rules from the FAA, and then there are local laws that have been enacted. So when it comes down to how you can use a drone and um, you know how your privacy is protected, it, it really depends on those things. There's a really helpful website I would recommend people check out called knowbeforeyoufly.org that goes through some of these rules around drones. Um, so some of the key things that you have to know is that you can't fly a drone higher than 400 feet, um, you can't intentionally fly over unprotected persons or moving vehicles, and you have to stay around 25 feet away from um, individuals. Um, in some states, you can't fly over sensitive infrastructure, and that might be considered like bridges or popular Uh, highways and roadways and that or government buildings and that sort of thing. And then it's interesting because these laws sort of default, again, to the local laws. You have to check and follow all of your local laws before flying over private property. So basically what it's going to come down to where you live, if you're concerned about your privacy and whether or not your neighbor can fly a drone um, around your backyard or around your house really depends on sort of like the overarching laws of privacy, the expectations of privacy, as well as local laws. Um, So let's talk about photos, for example, because photos is a good one. And when it comes to drones taking photos, it's kind of the same as cameras, but a little bit different. Um, Like if you, if we as journalists were to take a photo of something that's considered like you know, visible, naturally visible to the eye where you're not using a zoom camera and that sort of thing that may be considered fair game um, so with drones it's kind of the same but it also gets a little bit creepy like if you, if Kara, had a hole in your roof and I was flying a drone within my rights, within regulation over your home and I caught a photo and it, it caught something in your home I'm like I'm not trespassing essentially you present that scenario and naturally consumers are going to say well that doesn't seem right and and it's just this sort of thing. It's very complex. And until there actually are real rules and regulations around this thing, there are going to be all kinds of situations yeah. like this that are going to pop up.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that should be clear to just about anybody is that don't fly a drone near an airport. And fun- you know what I mean? It just would seem yes. like it's like, don't bring a bottle of propane on an airplane too. Like, don't like put it in your suitcase and have, yeah. you know.
3: Airport or airspace. Yeah, airspace. I mean, if you think yeah. about it like that,
0: yeah. right. All right. From S.L. Fisher. What right do I have to shoot it down if it's flying over my property without authorization? I like this that. Is a good I, I'm, I'm down with that one.
3: <laughs> so, um, Annie Oakley, aren't over you here, surprised? Kara aren't you
0: surprised? I'm <laughs> don't fly a, gun a drone lover, over but... Kara
3: Swisher's house in San Francisco, people. Just yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, so this is recently. This is a crazy story. A man in Hillview, Kentucky. Was arrested after shooting down a drone flying over his property. He was arrested on charges of first-degree criminal mischief and mischief, and first-degree wanton endangerment. I had to okay. write that down wanton. because I, I love would the not name. Have that.
0: What was that? I like the name wanton.
3: <laughs> wanton endangerment. Um, now his justification is. It was, ho- it was hovering over my property. I shot it out of the sky. I didn't shoot across the road or towards people or towards fences. I shot directly into the air. He was using a shotgun. Um, and he is saying our rights are being trampled daily, right. You know, not on a local level, but on a state and federal level. We need laws in place for this sort of thing. But the police said, first of all, you can't discharge firearms in that particular city. So once again, defaulting to local laws. And the FAA says drones cannot fly over buildings, even though we know this happens and we've probably seen it. Laws fighting each
0: other here, correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and that—I mean—in some ways, shooting the drone may actually cause a more significant hazard than just letting it fly. Oh, I mean, people yes. express concerns like, "Is this thing going to fly into my window?" But once you're shooting it down, then the person who is controlling it actually loses control over it, and then yeah. it could actually hurt somebody. Yeah, so there's yeah. the argument too that if you're—if it's being bullets, flown in a reckless manner, yeah. Right. So this is just one scenario where, you know, this is the person was arrested and this was deemed, you know, a a criminal act. But he was saying, well, this is this is violating my rights. And I think we're going to see more of this uh, before the rules are sort of sorted out.
0: Yeah, because Americans. Yeah. Because America. America. But you're right. If you shoot it, it'll knock down into something. Yeah. I just didn't think about that. Like, sure. What are you going to do afterwards? Then you're right. then you're in an episode of The Avengers, essentially, you know I
3: mean? right? And there's a there's a group called the Academy of Model Aeronautics, um, and they have established safety codes, and they say basically unmanned aircraft cannot be th- flown in a careless or reckless manner. But right. at the same time, if you shoot them down, it poses a significant right. safety hazard. Fair so point.
0: It's, yes, you've opened my eyes. I will not be shooting drones down above my head <laughs> unless I put really it away. get rid of them. If I just take them out completely. <laughs> Um, From at 12 Mile Geo, could you mention not flying around a wildfire, please? Very important to us. Talk about this issue because this is why people hate drones.
3: Yes. I mean, more recently, this is part of the growing backlash. I mean, this is referring to incidents last month here in California where there have been a rash of wildfires. It's a real problem we have here. And um, hobbyists were flying their drones over the affected areas in order to capture great footage. Maybe it's because they just want to look at cool footage or they want to sell it to news outlets. It could be for their own commercial gain and that sort of thing. Um, now, California has about 50 aircraft, ha- helicopters and planes that are dedicated to dropping either water or you know fire retardant mm-hmm. chemical onto affected areas. And the, the drones basically get in the way. Um, so the New York Times reported that in at least five fires last month, um, fire aircraft dispatched to drop chemicals and had to pull back after crews in the ground saw drones and said there could be a collision. So in this case, the drones, um, you know, what started out maybe as like an innocent, I just want to get some cool footage type thing, ended up um, resulting in, you um, you know, the, the yeah. firefighters basically not being able to do their jobs. Right. So a couple of lawmakers in the state are pushing for a more extreme legislation that would increase fines for these people or potentially make it a criminal offense. Um, but, but this is like, I mean, I, I I think that whether you're a drone enthusiast or not, you have to acknowledge some type of irresponsibility in this type of situation. What do you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, it, I think it's just, I can't believe people are doing that. Like, what a bunch of idiots. But, you know, every day in America, I have a new story that I'm like, what a bunch of idiots. So uh, how small are these things going to get though? I mean they could get super small, correct?
3: Yeah, they could be pretty tiny. I mean the ones that I think that were in question around um you know, the, the California wildfires were maybe like around eight pounds. And you might think, oh, well, how is that going to actually cause a collision with maybe a larger aircraft? I mean, it's at that point, it's not about the size of it, it's more just about the fact that it's interfering in some way. But there are some really tiny, you know, one or two pound plastic little drones. They might not have the best, um, you know, they may not be like heavy duty quadcopters or have the best camera equipment built into them, but they're pretty, they can be pretty lightweight and pretty yeah. nimble.
0: They can get super, super small. Some point and be personal drones kind of thing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ones that we have now would be considered personal drones, but it's not hard to imagine there would be drones that someone could stick in their pocket and just carry around with them and, and you know, basically use as like a tiny little GoPro that they right. fly out in front of
0: them. Right, right. Okay, last question from MF Crawford. Who would win in a fight, Borg or bees? What's Borg? Ooh. Is that a kind of drone?
3: I think he's referring just to the idea of yes. the machine, the Borg. Yeah. The robots. Yeah. This is a good question. It depends on the size. But I would say for some of these smaller drones, I my vote might be on a swarm of
0: bees. Bees. What do you think? I mean, bees I think killer bees do. always win, no matter what you're doing. Killer bees are. But of course, bees are dying off and drones aren't. Um, but I think bees. I'm always. Which with is the bees. unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I think the bees. bees. That's yeah. our very
3: unscientific response. Yes, but bees, that's what, bees. nature that's versus Borg.
0: Yeah. So, last question: Do you have a Do you have a drone yourself, Lauren? Good. I do not have a drone.
3: Uh, I do see them quite a bit around this area. Near, I'm down in Silicon, Silicon Valley yeah. and obviously there are a lot of enthusiasts down here and I see them being flown like in hiking trails and stuff like that. I have, I have tried um, using a couple of little drones mm-hmm. and you know to be honest I wasn't super impressed by the experience. I wasn't using drones that had great camera mm-hmm. you know cameras in them. They were just sort of these like uh like somersaulting drones or drones that didn't fly very high and I think products like that are really great for people that are just trying to get their feet wet with using drones and don't know don't know if they have like know how to fly them and say oh I just want to buy one of those cheap little ones and figure out fly this thing and then maybe I'll graduate to something more powerful so my experience hasn't been um you know great with drones I don't know if it's something that I'll necessarily get into but what
0: about you have you ever flown one of course not why not? You it was like, so
3: vehement. No, to, absolutely no, not. Because I have
0: other things to do besides fly around drones. That's why.
3: I would think, are your kids into
0: them? No, not at all. They've broken several of them, though, which is not. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> lucky yeah. you. Yeah, lucky me. Anyway, Lauren, <laughs> drone on. Thanks, Kara. <laughs> I was waiting to do that. Have a good day. Next up, Enough Said. Today for Enough Said, we're going to talk about cars, the original mobile device. What's the point of turning your car into a giant smartphone or a mobile hotspot? Is it safe? Recode editor Ina Fried is here to help get some answers. Ina has an upcoming mobile conference soon, and so we'll be talking about these issues at the conference. Cars are a big part of it. Welcome, Ina. Hey, Carol. So tell me a little bit about uh, the topic of cars and why you picked it for the conference.
2: Well, you know, the technology that has gone into the smartphone is really going into cars now. So everything that you can do on your phone, you'll be able to do in the car, with some obvious exceptions. You're not going to want to do them in the same way, or you'd be in an accident, and all you'd be able to do is call AAA. Right, and cars
0: is sort of. What's taken so long for cars to become like a? You'd think that cars would be further along.
2: Well, it's were. a fascinating drama playing out because the car industry, you know, despite the fact they make vehicles that go really fast, they move really slow. So you have this incredibly slow, cautious industry safety-focused, and then you have them sort of crashing to use a bad metaphor. That's kind of good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you want that, but that also has really slowed the pace of technology. So, I mean, if you look at that center console... It basically is the same technology as a smartphone. It's just moved at a glacial pace. So we're just now getting the kinds of capabilities that we've had in our phones for years. So
0: why do I want my car to be a hotspot? Well, there was a question. We asked some questions from readers and stuff. Well, it's
2: a great question. I mean, there's, there's two reasons. One, you want to be able to have lots of content in the back seat so the kids are quiet and not bugging you. So that's a great reason. Um, And then the other is uh, so that you can get the information you need today and eventually so that your car can actually talk to other cars and get traffic information and potentially down the road even, you know, find out that a car has deployed its airbag, Mm -hmm. you know, and this isn't there yet. But eventually you could have the car in front of you deploy its airbag and your car in nanoseconds gets an update and applies the brakes.
0: Right, right. That's for you.
2: For you. Ooh. so Because you would never know. Right. There's not enough time for a human to react. Right. But down the road with 5G, there might be enough time for a car. And that's some of the really fun stuff that we're going to get into that's a little further out, right. um, but really potentially important.
0: Yeah. So do I have to buy a new car for it to be connected? Yeah.
2: So in general, you would think the answer is yes, it's actually no. So a bunch of these capabilities can actually be retrofitted. So um, Pioneer sells a system that you can add back into your car that gives you Android Auto or CarPlay, which means right. that when it's you Explain Android,
0: because someone else asked about that, CarPlay or Android Auto.
2: So they're overlays, meaning they're not what powers the overall system, but as soon as you connect your phone, then you've got Android Auto or CarPlay, depending on whether you have an iPhone or an Android. And it gives you a bunch of the capabilities of your phone, Maps, Messages, Siri in the case of Apple, mm-hmm. uh, right on that center screen. So it basically... Brings the Apple or Google experience into your car, and you can buy that for around thousand uh, dollars or less, and add that into your existing car.
0: Now, what are the big topics you want to discuss at the conference in car related to cars? What, what's the what are the most key issues? I mean, everyone talks about Tesla. They talk about uh, the self driving car that seems to get a lot of attention, but we're not going to have self driving cars for a while.
2: We aren't, although we're moving there incrementally and in big steps. So there's two big issues. One is how the vehicle is changing, the point you're making about self-driving cars. We've got two paths, Google building a self-driving car from scratch, and all the car makers adding these incremental – uh, the car takes over in certain circumstance features. So that's one thing. And then the other issue is this, who's going to own that center console and how valuable is it going to be? So Google and Apple clearly have designs on that experience.
0: Sort of like Comcast owning the pipes and someone else owning well, the Well, and really yeah. like
2: the handset or the PC industry, the car makers desperately don't want to become either Dell or Nokia. They want mm-hmm. to own that car That's experience. And they need to, because they have to do all that expensive safety testing, build an engine, build a car. They can't afford for the value to go to Apple and Google. Right. At the same time, Apple and Google are moving a lot faster. And a lot of people think, even though the car makers would like to do the electronics themselves, they won't be able to and keep up. And they're
0: the two key players, Apple and Google. Anyone else around the world?
2: RIM, oddly enough. So BlackBerry, uh, they bought a company called Kunix that actually makes the systems that go into a lot of the car electronic systems. And then there are a lot of people you've never heard of, Electrobit, Harman, that do pieces of this connected car, and then the carriers. So AT&T has been really out in front. It's one of the reasons we're having uh, their CEO, Glenn Lurie, speak at Code CodeMobilist. They've actually been at the forefront of putting connectivity in cars.
0: Right. And so who who is going to control it? Is it going to be like a Comcast, dumb pipes, cable company kind of thing where they worry they have to end up buying entertainment? Or do you see, you know, Apple and Google really creating cars?
2: I think eventually Apple and Google are going to own a lot of the value, which is going to mean that the car makers, today's car makers, are going to struggle. So I think it's going to be a combination of new car makers like Tesla, a few of the old dinosaurs that evolve quickly, and then Apple and Google playing much more central role.
0: Right. And uh, last question, safety issues, distraction. This is something that everybody thinks about. Now, in a self-driving car situation, you can text and drink, do whatever you want. You well, know that's, I mean? that's like, the that's,
2: panacea. But right. before we get there, uh, distracted driving is going to be a big issue. And you know, these systems, CarPlay, Android Auto, all these are designed to be more friendly to driving. But still, there's a question of whether even hands-free you should be talking on the phone or listening to content. Plus
0: these ideas of windshields, right? You're going to be talking about this issue, like a windshield that looks like, a, like you're in the Terminator where there's all kinds of information in front of you to look at.
2: I think they're pretty cautious there. I think we'll see you know, some experimentation outside of production vehicles that helps figure out how much information is the right amount.
0: Okay, last question. What's the craziest thing as you've cr- started to create this conference What do you, that you're seeing? What would be the craziest car thing?
2: I mean, I think the craziest thing is that we get to a point where we have almost self-driving cars but not quite, so you still need to be paying some attention. And you know, do you stay focused or distracted? I think that's going to be a real issue. So I can't sleep in the car like I want to? Well, Google in Google's plan, yes, but yes. For, in reality, not for the next 10 or 15 years. Mm, Take okay. some no-dos.
0: right. So, you know, when's the conference?
2: October 7th and 8th in Half Moon Bay. We've got a great lineup, including the car folks. We've also got the CEO of Fitbit, Ericsson, um, and there's still tickets So you're available. talking
0: also about wearables and health and, and finance?
2: Definitely. We're talking about how the technology that's gone in these phones is going all kinds of other places and how it's really reshaping whole industries.
0: Okay. Well, I'll drive there then.
2: Excellent. Pay attention.
0: I'll try. Thanks a lot, Ina. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. We'll be back next week.
3: This has been Recode Decode hosted by Kara Swisher. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, Uber founder Travis Kalanick, reality star Kim Kardashian, Shark Tank host Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and more. They're all on Recode Replay. Thanks for tuning in.